Hey, I'm Danny Mazer, and you are listening to the Soul Stories podcast, an extension of Soul Stories. At Soul Stories, we create spaces for risk-taking, vulnerability, and critical thought. On this season of the podcast, we speak to change makers about their personal journeys and how they are making an impact in their communities. Denise has a passion for secondary education, individualized learning styles, and museum exhibit design. She learned to navigate the education system with dyslexia and ADHD on her own. She has taken those challenges and focused her efforts on creating individualized experiences to spark curiosity in youth and adults. It was really inspiring to talk with someone who is so dedicated to improving education for our community. I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. Hi, Denise. Hi. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm good. Yeah? I'm good. I'm a little tired today. Yeah. It's been a long day. It has. Yeah. You too? Yeah. Ready to go home, sit on my couch, drink some wine. Mm. Have a good night. Well, hopefully we can get started with this sitting on the couch part. Yes. (laughs) The question I've been asking everyone who comes on this podcast to start out is, what are you creating in the world currently? So right now, I'm uh, working at the Denver Museum of Nature and Science. We are creating different content and creating just a free environment for guests to just kind of come in and enjoy themselves and learn at the same time. So that's kind of what I'm creating right now. Nice. Yeah. When you say creating content at the Denver Nature and Science Museum, mm-hmm. what exactly does that mean? So basically what a portion of my job is, is to find a new material in the health world and bring it into our exhibit to educate guests as best we can, whether it is, this is what your lungs look like. This is what your heart looks like. Anything along those lines I'm doing. So Nice. Yeah. Is there any exhibit right now that might be particularly inspiring to you or Body World is always a lot of fun. It's I kinda, see that advertised yeah, all the it's time. It's everywhere. So basically they just have these like plastinated, which are preserved body parts. So it's like we we actually have an, a lung, we have an entire body, actually, an entire we have got skeletons and we've got muscle systems. Jesus. Um, so it's so cool. It's just really, really cool. So bringing that into our exhibit and kind of making it more accessible for people to know what looks what their bodies look like under their skin is really cool. So, okay. yeah. And so what are you doing in that process? So right now, uh, Expedition Health exists just as it is. And so Say we that are again. Expedition Health, the gallery that I work in at oh, okay. DMS. Okay. It's kind of already focused, but it's bringing that information and kind of content and saying, oh, look at this new thing that we could do or look at this new thing. And so just kind of building ideas for when we do redo the exhibit that'll be kind of, I've already got like all stocked in my, in the background. And I've only been there for like five months. So still trying to get my feet under me and figuring out what we can do. Cause I'm such a jump in, let's get stuff done. Yeah. And then working for such a big institution, it's like, you can't, you have to go through so many places. So much hierarchy. Yeah. So exactly. Just a process. Like it's really just like making sure all the, all the checks are like dots are eyes are dotted. Eyes are dotted. Yeah. T's are crossed. Exactly. Nice. Yeah. 
You said, where were you before that? Five months before? So I was living in Houston um, and I worked for Texas. Texas. Wow. I'm born and raised (laughs) in Texas. Yep. Yep. That probably Um, gets a lot of reactions. A lot of people are like, where's your accent? And I was like, oh, don't worry. It's there. I'm just hiding it for you. Does Houston have an accent? Um, yeah, I was living in Galveston, so I went to school in Galveston and then kind of went back and forth between Houston. Didn't really like living in Houston, so I was like, I'll just commute an hour and a half. Which is nuts. Nuts. And it was awesome though. Like Galveston's such a fun city. Yeah. And so it's just like a beach town. Like everybody's just really chill and happy. So I was living on Bolivar Island, which is like a ferry ride to Galveston. And everybody talks like this and they just have really thick (laughs) accents. And I just started halfway through just talking out the side of my mouth. No. And I was like, what is (laughs) happening to me? (laughs) So yeah. But I was at a at an aviation museum in Houston. Okay. Um, a staff of two people okay. with a core team, uh, like a volunteers of about, I'd say eight to 12, depending on the time of year. So small. Yeah. Super, super small. Our biggest days had like 200 people in and we have that in like one school group at the museum right now. Yeah. So the stories Chelsea tells me about that. Is, yeah. yeah. Like today, I think we had like 1500 kids. On top of the first day of Leonardo da Vinci exhibit, which was the new exhibit there. Mm. And it, it, one of our volunteers was just like, this is a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh-huh. 1,500 in just one day. Kids. Like, that's my <laughs> yeah. thing. I'm like, these are kids on field trips. <laughs> yeah. Like, they are nuts. They are running through here. And the so. teachers are like, well, you know, this is my moment to take a little bit exactly. of break. You guys are youth educators. Yeah. You take care yeah, of them. Yeah, please, please take yeah, them. Please. Manage them for a moment. Because <laughs> I'm done with this. Exactly. We see that a lot, actually. It's funny watching. Like, sometimes you have really, really good chaperones and parents that are, like, on their kids. And then sometimes you have parents that are like, I'm just going to sit on my phone and let you do that experiment by yourself, <laughs> Timmy. And you have a good time. <laughs> Cut that frog open. Do whatever exactly. you want. Exactly. You got this. <laughs> <laughs> You're in Galveston. Yeah. Yes. And, and where's Galveston? What's the... So, Galveston, Texas is about 45 minutes south of Houston. So it is a Gulf town, Gulf city. It's just a fun town. Like it was. And what college? Texas A&M. Oh, you're an Aggie. I'm an Aggie. Yep. Wow. (laughs) Is that the sound? It is. You just cast your hands and you go whoop. Whoop. Yep. Done. (laughs) Honorary Aggie. That was very, that was very simple. (laughs) Yeah. It's very. Shorter than hook them horns. Yeah. Oh God. No, no, no. Um, but yeah, no, it was a good town. I went to the University of North Texas for a year and okay. I was... What was North Texas before? Wasn't North Texas something else? I do not like know. Like University you, of Texas, El Paso. Was it UTEP or is that... A, no, a, that's a different... That's a, El Paso a whole school, yeah. is like at the very base, like edge of Mexico. Gotcha. So like essentially just... A, like one part of the country of Texas. Yes. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> yeah. But went there in Denton. It was a really cool city. I met a lot of cool people, but I was like, this is too, it was too big of a school for me. I'm such a focused person that being in a class of like a thousand people was a lot to do. And I did At that in North high Texas? school. Yeah. Like it was nuts. Like wow. that was just like our history department. Like it was I went to Ohio State. That's common there. Yeah. But I wouldn't picture that in North Texas. Yeah. Yeah. It's like they're looking to be the next A&M. And so, yeah, they want to be big, which is great. Like it's a cool campus. It's good people. Um, Very like 
Austin vibes. Like it's oh. kind of like very earthy and like cool, very Denver. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, about where it. we're at. Denver. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But just super small town. And then I was like, I, and I always wanted to go to A&M Galveston. And so I was just like, one of my friends texted me, she's like, the transfer applications are due in a week, apply. And I was like, okay. So I did. And then five minutes later, I found myself moving my stuff down to Galveston and living there. And then. And what year was that? Or what year in college was that? That was my freshman year. So sophomore year is when I started. Yeah. So that was 2014, I guess. Cool. 14. Yeah. Yeah. So that was probably the best decision I've ever made. Really? Because the campus at Galveston is 2,500 people. Really? Uh-huh. That doesn't make sense, though. So A&M yeah. isn't College Station. Oh, that's, I know yes, that name. Yeah. Yes. I'm born and raised in College Station. So I was oh. like, I've always wanted to be an Aggie. Grew up an Aggie. Could hear the Warham from from my house. Yeah. Um, and the tradition that they've got there is so great. And, um, were you at a satellite campus? Yes. Yeah. And so we have all of the perks of being A&M, but we don't have to deal with all the people and we're in Galveston. And so it's just like your campus being really far away. A&M has a lot of branches. They've got A&M Prairie View. They've got A&M Kingsville, I think. And then the two that are associated where you get your ring or your degree that say A&M and nothing else mm-hmm. is Galveston and, and Qatar, Qatar in the Middle East. Oh. Yeah. Oh. I'm yeah. Like, I think it's Qatar. I've heard it I've heard so both. many different ways. Yeah. yeah. We're ignorant um, Americans. It's fine. Yeah. I'm just I'm, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry, everyone. <laughs> but yeah, they... They just opened that campus probably eight years ago, I think, in Cutter. Wow. So, yeah. But A&M Galveston's been there for a while. And so it's just teeny tiny. We were always like the redheaded stepchild because we're just this little kind of tiny campus that nobody really knows about. So it kind of gives so. you both you what you're looking for, which is being an Aggie mm-hmm. and also like a small campus. Right. And it was nice because I knew th- for a long time that I wanted to work with history and all this stuff. And then I was like, I don't want to be a teacher. So let's look into museums. And then I fell in love with museums. And so you so, studied to go into museums. Yeah. Yeah. So my, Whoa, how does one do that? So most of the time it's a grad program that you go into, but I got lucky enough at Anna Galveston where my class was like 40 people. Oh, that was so like nice. the amount of people in our major. Yeah, so it took me to like junior year to get to that much. Yeah, it was amazing. And so I got to kind of help shift and they were like in the process of wanting to add more museum classes. And so I kind of got to be on the forefront of like, this is what we should do. This is who we should get. Like, this is like what mm. what's going on. And so that was really, really cool. So I got to really focus my degree on museums. On my resume, it's funny. It says maritime studies with my minors, which is anthropology and English, but then it has pathway museum studies. <laughs> and so, so it's like a, a paragraph. Yeah, it is. Oh, and major. it's funny because every time I go into an interview, they're like, so what does pathway mean? <laughs> 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 I'm like, so <laughs> I'm bossy and wanted to do this and I got him to do this. <laughs> so yeah, uh, that was really cool. That was like the best part about it. And then I was super involved on campus and did a couple internships and yeah. all that stuff. So so really you found your passion in. pretty early. Yeah. I always say I'm super early about that because I know so many people that have no idea what they want to do, but they have to go to college because their parents told them to. Yeah. And I'm, like... I'm 27 and I know people older than me are, who are still like, well, you know. Yeah. 
you know. it's a job. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Like that's, yeah. And so I was really lucky to have that kind of very young. And like my, my dad always likes to say that I based my entire adult life on Indiana Jones, <laughs> uh, because like, honest that. to God, like I, my grandma Pearl, which is my dad's mom, she, and I would watch temple of doom every single time I went to go see her every single time I could quote it hands down. And she, it's like your favorite movie of all time. Um, uh, not my favorite movie of all time now that I've gotten older, but as a kid, yes, that was it for me. And so I just loved the idea of traveling all over the world and learning all about this history and like yeah. all this like five year old me was like playing Indiana Jones outside. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're a modern day Indiana. Jones. I would love it. Like, <laughs> and so then I've just kind of like slowly progressed into like, do I want to do archaeology? Do I want to do anthropology? Do I want to work in museums? And so I kind of have a degree that played with all three and then now I work in museums. So is museums the path or is this just where you're at right now? No, I think museums is the path. Um, I like, no matter what working with museums is always going to be my path. I love the idea of secondary learning is super, super passionate. It's a super passion for me just because like, tell, tell us what secondary learning is. Yeah. So secondary learning is stuff you learn outside of school. It's reinforcement okay. of what you're learning in, in class. And so I have, um, dyslexia and ADHD and I'm not a classroom learner. I'm not a sit mm. me in front of a book and read. And so anytime that I wanted to learn something, I kind of had to make it more physical. So it's stuck. And so I think that at museums, you're able to do stuff, you're able to see stuff. And I think creating a memory around content makes people hold that longer. Mm. They're always going to remember what those lungs look like. They're always going to know what that heart looks like. They're always going to know what's going on in the world because they've seen it in a museum. Yeah. And so that's physical contact with it. Exactly. Like being able to take something that you're reading. Cause in my mind, reading was super, super cool. Being able to see it was like so much better. Like it was just really cool and it always stuck more. So that's kind of where this whole museum passion came from. That kind of took me out of wanting to do field work to wanting to educate the public without having to be a teacher. So, mm. yeah. So growing up dyslexia, ADHD, did you know that early on? Yeah. My mom um, has dyslexia and ADHD. And so it was just kind of one of those where it was like, no, she's just distracted. And my mom was like, no, 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 she has dyslexia. Like, thank God for my mom. Cause she fought tooth she and nail. Had it. Yeah. So she knew what needed to be done. What 504s I needed, like special, um, modifications, extended time, um, anything like that. 504, like an IEP. Um, it's just like, uh, your accommodations. Okay. So yeah. So it's like, I would get extended time. I get double time and I would get like, I'd have this like color overlay and, assisted help if I needed something read to me that could happen. So, but that was, I think for a long time I was very okay with the treatment because it was easy. And then I realized that I wanted not to challenge the system, but more say not everybody learns this way and I'm not going to. So I'm going to stop beating myself up about it and just change the way I'm learning. So I would ask teachers like, can you do this? Can you do that? Can I do notes like this? Can I record your classes and sit and watch you teach rather than writing while you teach? And, and you so, came up with that on your own. Yeah. Like that was me sitting down and being like, you got to figure this out. Like you have to learn it. You have to do it. So why not do it the way you know how to? So. And 
how old are you to asking a teacher to record their classes? Oh, I probably started doing that in middle school. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Like that's, I was just kind of like, can I record this? Can I do this? And sometimes teachers would just give me notes and then I would go back and be like, mm. like I know myself and I am happy to take the easy way out. A lot of the times I'm very Aren't much like, all? like, yeah, like if you're going to give me the notes, schooler, cool. Yeah. But then knowing that thinking I'm getting these notes and I'm reading them, but I'm not retaining that. So in class, like I was just like dicking around, like I wasn't even like paying attention at all. Yeah. And so I was like, no, I need to figure out a way for me to retain this as much as possible and also use what I'm being given. So I would just sit in the back. Like there, I have distinct memories of me like sitting on the desk and just watching my teachers and then going what back. What was the on the desk part? Just higher elevation. <laughs> I, <guess. laughs> I don't know. It was just, just fun. A seat exactly. The like I just yeah. got to look at it. Um, yeah. And it, it had nothing to do with it. It was just like I got to do what I needed to do. And it was kind of that like a lot of people with ADD like have that twitch. And like so they like the fidget spinners are really good for kids with ADD because it gave yeah. them something to physically do while they could mentally focus. Right. And so with ADD, which they don't really classify them differently anymore. Back when it first started though, that was actually a big difference. Mm-hmm. I remember like, I remember being a kid being like people telling me, Oh, he has ADD. No, he has ADHD. Mm-hmm. And so ADHD is when you're hyperactive. So you have to physically move and ADD is more mental. You can't mm. focus. So if something somebody walks past the classroom, I'm gonna. F- it's that. It's more squirrel like that yeah. idea yeah. rather than the um the like I I can't stop moving. I'm just really excited to be here. So that was a good distinction to find out too. That this isn't just like I don't have to constantly be moving. That was never my big thing. It was more just like I would get distracted. So probably that elevation really did help me because I wasn't just looking at kids writing their pencils. Yeah. Like it's like sitting in the front of the class. Yeah. Because so. you're a little bit above everybody. Mm-hmm. So what I'm hearing is that the the label was helpful for you. Like really getting those distinguishing things. Was that process difficult as a kid? Not really. Cause like I had cousins that were ADD, like ADHD. So they were like physically moving. And I knew that like, I wasn't like, I didn't have to like constantly be like touching somebody or like moving around. Like I could just, it was nice to know the distinction and me being a kid, like I was an only child for a long time and having, I don't know, just like that time to kind of process yourself. I guess as like a middle schooler and be like, this is how I learn. Oh, this is why I get so distracted sometimes. Oh, this is why that person has to constantly be moving. Like being able to pinpoint those things in my life was good and easy for me to like put a label on it. So it it grounded you. Yeah, absolutely. In what was happening. Yeah. Because it might've felt a little out of control. Yeah. Yeah. I guess there's, there's definitely moments where you're just kind of like, Oh, this is why I'm different. Different doesn't mean that I can't do it. Yeah. It means that I have to figure out a way to do it. So. And so what, what's the motivation at that time? I'm just so curious. You seem like such a motivated child. You know, it's, I don't know. Like, honestly, <laughs> it was just like, I. I think all I wanted to do at that time was play Xbox and watch cartoons. I was very <laughs> Oh, believe me, I was cartoons. definitely watching cartoons constantly. Like, my <laughs> yeah. mom was very much like a, sit here. <laughs> just calm down. Yeah. Watch all, all the Indiana Jones you want. <laughs> yeah. All the Rugrats and Indiana Jones were like oh, my Rugrats. life. Oh. But, um. I still haven't seen 
No, I've seen one Indiana Jones. So oh my god, they're all on Netflix so, now. So I'm sure I'm sure like, I could find them on YouTube. So even. good, yeah, so good. The best one is the third one. So um, which one's that? Is that Temple that, of Doom? No, 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 Temple of Doom is second. So it's Raiders of the Lost Ark, Temple of Doom, and um, oh my gosh. Oh my god. Return of the Jedi. No, no, no. <laughs> oh, what is it called? Oh, I can't remember. Which is my favorite one? Like, why is this the one that I'm that I'm But not you've been saying Temple of Doom this time. I have, and now I'm hooked on like the Temple of Doom, like the Kali Ma but situation. It's not, your favorite? It's, not. it's like it it's like just the childhood first. memory. It's the second one. But like I guess historically as I've gotten older. I really like the third one more. It's more like any like entertaining, and I mean Sean Connery's in it, and yeah, so good, so good. Nice, but yeah. So you're motivated to be Indiana Jones? No, (laughs) basically, (laughs) I just I guess I'm just not one. I don't like to fail. So I think that it was more like, and and I don't early on for you. Yeah, and I don't like to look stupid. So, I mean, even as a kid, like when I was having difficulties reading, I would pretend to read. Like Uh, I would just skim it. Like I would just really like look like I was reading. Yeah. Even though I I knew. I work with kids and they love that. Yeah. Like it's just like, oh, I'm I'm doing it. And people would, and I'd like look up like way earlier than everybody else. And I remember like this kid being like, you, there's no way you read that. And I'm like, I did read this. (laughs) I did. Don't tell me I didn't read (laughs) this. Exactly. Like reading out loud was like horrific for me. Oh, I hated that too. And so it was just like, I, even in college, I would be like, mm, I don't, I don't want to do this. Does like the dyslexia at that point just like fire up? Yeah. And then I think my anxiety <laughs> kicks in. So then I just like get like super anxious yeah. and panic. So I was definitely one of those people that would like count the people and then like go to that paragraph and like rehearse it in my head <laughs> and yeah. then still mess it up <laughs> yeah. because then I got nervous. So yeah, I think it's just really like, I just didn't want to like fail and I didn't want to look dumb. And so I made a point to just, but I also didn't mind like challenging authority. So it was like if I needed those kids. Oh, well, it wasn't even like I was teachers liked me a lot. Yeah. Teachers liked me a lot. I had you weren't like, no, it was never like, I'm not going to do this. It was more like, well, why do we have to learn like this? Well, can I do this? Like it was more like I had to make a point to ask them questions. And that was fully instilled by my mom. My mom straight was like, if you don't understand it, ask a question. Because if I find out you're not asking questions, we're going to have a problem. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. Wow. And so I think I only had one. parent Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think I only had one teacher that was like not keen on it. And it was because the class itself was based off of like teaching students to be successful in the future and like college prep and um, very like receptacle just it's called it's like the it's and it's also for like first generation college students and um minority kids and stuff like that and so it was like the whole structure of the class was very like in my mind it was very prejudiced against a lot of people and a lot of groups and I was just not there for it like I was just like did you experience that yourself yeah but it was more because like so I'm mixed like my mom's white my dad's black and I was raised biracial okay and so putting me in a class and being like so you're black and I'm like no 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 there are other people in this world that are low income and first generation and you don't have to just be like that black kid that's in the class that needs to be put into higher classes. And you found people treating you like that. Yeah. And so I was just going, mm, I don't really love this. So I hated the structure of the class itself. The program is actually really good when it's done properly. 
and I just didn't, I didn't understand why. And like they made you do these Cornell notes, which I don't, do you know what Cornell notes are? I feel like I've heard them in the past like couple years. The worst. They're like a new, or they were like a new way of writing notes and they're supposed to be more structured. I think I started it. 10th grade, 10th or 11th grade. Okay. Yeah. So it was in high school. And so at that point I was fully willing to like say, say stuff. Exactly. Yeah. And so Cornell notes, I once again was such a, can I record your class and I'll listen to them later and take my notes. Then I just want to sit and watch you. And I'd been doing that for four years. At this point, you know yourself. Exactly. And they were like, Nope, you have to take these Cornell notes in class and then you have to submit it for a grade. And so every submit your notes for a grade. Uh huh. They had to be completely graded and they had to be pretty and That's highlighted. Some dumb and shit. Yeah. It was it was so stupid. And Whoa, so every yeah, I was just like, I don't I did not get to this. So what was happening is that I would not do them in class and then I would have to go home and write them the way I would write notes, and then I would also have to write them in Cornell notes. So your so it's notes extra are, work. This, are, it's like a double assignment. Yeah. So then I just stopped doing it because I also, <laughs> I also, I'm just like, your GPA is not going to matter. Like in 10 years, your GPA is not going to matter. No, it's not. So I was just like, nope, I'm not going to do this. And like, if you want to fail me, cool. You're not going to, cause I'm doing my work. I'm just not doing it the way you want me to do it. And so this was building up for a long time. Like it, like it was like my senior year by the time, like we both kind of broke at each other. Who's both? <laughs> my teacher and I. So is this a teacher following you through grades? Yeah. So the, there were two teachers and one of them actually got moved into being a counselor. And so then it was just one teacher. And so each year you would get her. And it was just, I wasn't like, I liked her. Like she was a coach and like, I liked her a lot. I was just like, not going to let her jeopardize my time and my grades because she wanted me to do Cornell notes. Yeah. And so I just stopped turning them in and I would go to class because I also have a peaceful protest. Yeah. Basically as I was just like, this is not how I learn and I'm not going to spend the extra time. And they're like, well just do the notes. And I'm like, so you want me to write notes out three times in a structure that I don't understand mentally that's not going to help like, me. Cause who is this for right now? Yeah. It's for you. Like yeah. it's completely for you because yeah. you think that notes should look like this, but that's not how they work. And that's not how my brain reads things because basically what Cornell notes is, is you do like a, like a T like where on like that red line that you have on line paper, yeah. you highlight down and then at the top and then you write your subject and you write all the content on your right side. And then you do like what that title is over to your left. And so basically what I was having to do was register this, 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 and like going zigzag back and forth. Cause that's how your brain's processing. Yeah, well, that's how they wanted my brain to process, oh, but I my see. brain was not processing it's it like, like that. Do, 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 do. Yeah. Like I'm a bullet points person. Uh, and so yeah. having to go back and forth and zigzag between these notes was just not clicking. Like it just in my head was not sinking. Yeah. And then I was just going to have to write the bullet points later anyway. And I was like, I will give you my normal notes happily. I'll give you the recording that I'm using plus the hour that I'm spending at night, then copying it down, writing it out. Cool. Like that's fine. But I'm not going to then take another hour to do Cornell notes because you want to use it as a grade. So this we, isn't for you as a teacher. Exactly. This is because it's the content that you want that has to be taught basically. And I'm oh. very anti that as well. Like just having a set 
this is what we are supposed to teach. So this is what we're going to teach and we're not going to teach on anything else. So you're not a so, fan of common core. I assume. No, 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 no. It's just kind of like, I, I think that they're so, and I'm also like a deep diver. Like I want to know more about stuff and I'm going to sit there and it ask more like stuff. It, yeah. Yeah. So it's just like, if we do these one thing that we're, you're supposed to teach us, like that's not really going to help us in the future. Like it's not going to help us learn. And especially being a history dork, like, like, I am like, we're not teaching history at all. We're just teaching what you want us to teach and then we move past it. So there's so many other cool things that we could be teaching and finding interest that like when people have interest in something, they pay more attention. And so when you're just throwing content at them, like they don't care. Right. So make it fun, make it exciting, make it relatable. So it goes back to that whole creating a, a memory behind content. With all of that, it sounds like you have had a lot of experiences in learning and it seems like you were really drawn to learning. Mm-hmm. Like education was maybe a, a place where you excelled and you wanted to find a place in that to excel more. Is that something you're trying to now create as an adult for kids? Yeah. I think that like, I won't say that I excelled whatsoever. Like there were, yeah. I learned a lot and I like took a lot away, but my grades definitely were not up to par for as much as I actually learned because I'm also not a test taker whatsoever. Um, but yeah, I think that a lot of kids and I used to sub before I got my last job for about six months, then seeing it from like a teacher standpoint of like, these kids are not (coughs) even listening. They don't (laughs) care. Like until you spark their interest or you're doing something fun, they aren't listening to you unless like they're somebody that wants to like, they're really worried about their grade, you know, like people that are actually wanting to learn. And I really want to reach all kids, not just Mm -hmm. like the one kid that's really excited in the class. I think there's a way for every kid to find an interest in your class, not just your class, but in any content in their life. And so that's a bold claim. I really do. Like, I think it's just like everybody wants to learn. Like there's not one person in the world that doesn't want to learn something. Yeah. So it's why such an not exciting feeling it is. And like, Oh, like that aha moment. And like having that for kids is just, I think is so instilling that young and letting them know that it's okay to like not understand something. And if you don't understand something, ask a question. Don't shame them for getting it wrong. Exactly. Exactly. So just kind of make, and, and if you see a kid learns better with a different type of note style or not just a lecture style, help them figure that out. Because at that point in their mind, they're thinking they're a failure, so they're giving up. And that's not what we want to teach at all. We want to let them know that there's other pathways for you to learn. All right, that's that's what I want to do. What would you recommend then? Do you think just eradicate the school system and do all secondary <laughs> learning or? No, obviously not. No, because complete anarchy does not need to exist in this world. Um, but I think just, I think it's just letting teachers teach because no, like not a lot. I'm not going to say all, but most teachers go into it because they love kids and they love helping them learn. Mm-hmm. And they're going to pinpoint what they need before the kid knows, but it's, do they have time to help? And then you just kind of have to sacrifice one to help the many in a situation. So allowing teachers to like shift their content and how they teach. So kids enjoy it is I think the best way to do it. And just allowing teachers to have that freedom of being like, you don't have to do Cornell notes. 
You don't have to take notes if that's not how you learn. Record it. Listen to it over and over and over again if that's how you're going to retain it. Giving more options to teachers and kids and saying that there's other ways to learn. Why are we moving away from options? Because it seems like we're getting farther and farther away from any options unless you're a charter school. I think it's because they're creating content that you have to teach for standardized testing. And teachers focus so hard on, like in Texas, it was the tax test. And you have to learn that content that's going to be on that test so that our school does well, so that our school gets money. And I think that that was so focused upon. Mm. And I like College Station there. It's a good school district. Like I had a lot of teachers that were willing to help me. But once again, because I was asking. But I think that all teachers are taught that there's other ways that kids can learn. And if you have time to help that kid, cool. If you don't, cool. I think it should be if this kid learns differently, teach them differently. And once again, like one teacher in front of 40 kids is a lot. So having to identify that. And, and sometimes you'll have resistance from kids, like kids that don't want to listen to you. Like, absolutely. Yeah. Like yeah. you have, like, there are a lot of kids that are like, they don't like authority. They do not like you the instant they walk in that room. And that is okay. But still investing time in that kid is important. But having the time to do it is important. Yeah. And my experience with that is like, you have so, as a teacher, you just have so much going on mm-hmm. that if one kid's like, nope, it's like, well, I don't know what to tell you. I tried. Bye. Right. Like you just move on to the next kid. Cause the next kid is probably like, I want your attention. Help me. Like, yeah. like, so it's hard to kind of find that balance, but I think there's like a sweet spot for every kid. And I think that you have a whole, like a year, you've got what, eight months, nine months. Yeah. I think nine. And you can pinpoint that with those kids. Like it's different in college. Like your professor doesn't really care about you, but like in, yeah, it's very much a money game. in college. Yeah, exactly. Like I had a lot of teachers that were cool and I enjoyed them because, but I wanted to be there. I was taking classes that I wanted to take, but like You're choosing yeah. yeah, my algebra teacher, God bless them. Like they were all so great because I hate algebra and I openly rebel against it because why does X equal Y? It makes no sense. <laughs> tell me why (laughs) they're like well because somebody said that (laughs) and i'm like oh that's not a good enough reason (laughs) as a fan of algebra and uh, and hating history it's very funny to hear you oh (laughs) gosh it's like it's just like somebody pulled it out of the air and was like this is what we believe now (laughs) and i'm like okay (laughs) like where is history it happened it was written down we moved like now you're learning it Uh, i was i hope there's like computer programmers (laughs) listening to this they're like motherfucker (laughs) they're mad at me (laughs) like i was like whole life just like math was not my thing like i remember just head down just i don't want to be here i don't care about this it makes no sense like even basic addition i'm like one, two, like I still <laughs> use my fingers half the time. Oh, no. I was just like, I can't, like, I don't know why it never clicked, but history always did. Like there was something I could go back to. It was like, this actually happened. I can see this picture, this person's picture. If I wanted to, I could meet this person if they're still alive. So, or go see the things. Like when I was in Sweden, like that was really cool. When I studied Vikings, seeing something that was just kind of this mythical thing and then putting it into reality and seeing it and like being there was just crazy cool. It made it matter. So I think that when you're able to put it down, once again, making that memory, it's real. 
Whereas numbers like and then thrown in letters and also I'm dyslexic. So then things just get flipped and moved and <laughs> turned around. Numbers <laughs> like, are floating in the sky. <laughs> making threes and eights. Why? <laughs> like, it just was not great. So yeah, like it was just like that always really was good for me. Like it, it made sense. Sweden. That, yeah. That is a interesting topic. It is. Yeah. I. Um, what happened there? So I was in college and I was just getting in and I had a professor that was really into Vikings and he was also the museum's professor. And so I signed up for his Vikings class and then um, I was actually in his museum studies program. And so we did a project, me and two other girls, and we had to create an entire exhibit based around sea shanties, which are the working songs that they would do on long ships with ropes. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. So we did a really great job, and it was really cool. We actually got to put it into production. So we ended up making this exhibit. And, and people got to see it in Yeah, Sweden. like you got to... No, we got to see it at our campus. Oh, okay. And so this professor was just like, you guys did such a great job. I'm going to Sweden this summer. Do you all want to come? And then when we get back, we can talk about doing a Vikings exhibit. And we're like, uh, duh. Why wouldn't I <laughs> want to go to Sweden? Like, yeah. that sounds like the best. And so we did three days in Copenhagen and Denmark. We went to this really cool spot called Roskilde, where basically it's this town in Denmark where they sunk these ships in the harbor to prevent invasion. And they were able to resurrect them and most of them are partially intact and so now they have this little cool village where they make these ships still and you can sail out on them so cool so so cool and then we did a month and a half or a month in Gotland Sweden which is the largest island in the Baltic so it was really cool we got to see we worked really closely with the Viking Museum there in Visby which is the capital city in Gotland is just like the cutest little town like first of all so cool and they've got these um like medieval walls up for invasion like thinking they would say you're never invaded so they did that yeah but they're still intact and you can like walk inside them and it's so so cool we studied picture stones rune stones and stone ships and then just viking culture and on the island and in Sweden because Swedish vikings weren't the pillagers at all they were like how can we use trade how can we use like go crops and more of like the homesteaders of vikings um interesting yeah so not all vikings were these crazy like what you see in the movie like the tv show vikings well now i'm doubting everything i've seen (laughs) (laughs) why why is that well how often were vikings pillagers and how often like was it a balance or was it just it just depended on the tribe or yeah. Like they really just wanted to explore. And so anytime they would go out exploring, they would be like, Oh, I'm gonna take this gold too. Oh, uh, I'm going to like, and like, Oh, you don't believe in Zeus or not Zeus. Oh my gosh. You don't believe in Odin. Okay. Well you're wrong. The, your Christian church can go somewhere else and they would, they burn it down. And, and so they would just like pillage, kill everybody, leave. Damn. And so that was like, yeah. And so it was really just when they were ready for another raid, like they were ready to go explore. They went all over the place. That's crazy that human beings for so long just go places and just murder people. <laughs> right? Why but is it that an happens instinct? so much? And like, it's not just like murder them. It's like level the city, build your city on top of it. Never talk about them again. Right. Like We're going to eradicate like, this culture. Yeah. Complete culture, non-existent. Like, <laughs> 
go go away and it's like you lose a war you're done like nobody talks about you anymore we kill everybody unless they want to like convert to what we believe in so i mean but think about like the crusades like yeah <laughs> how yeah. terrible the crusades were yeah. and it's just like all oh because all in the name of god we're gonna murder all these people yeah we, get, <laughs> we were chosen yeah to we, kill you we picked this <laughs> yeah. do you want to join or no we're right, <laughs> we're right. yeah Oh man! So it's it's just cool. Like I've always, I've always been. History's always been my favorite. Yeah, you light up as you talk I about do. it. It's fun. It's a fun time. You said a while back, and I've been holding on to this first generation. Yeah. Are you first generation? So technically, four year. Yes. So my dad. Um, okay, first generation college. College. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. College. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah. My parent. My mom is from Montana. My dad's from Mississippi. So weird kind of culture blend there. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Like my mom's this like teeny tiny little white lady and my dad's like this big black guy. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, I'm so scared of your dad. And I was like, not the one you have to be afraid of. Your mom's It's my mom. It's the five two like that'll like cut you off at the knees <laughs> as you walk oh, in the door. Um, yeah. And so like my parents had me super young. They had me at 16, 17. And so um, parents. Yeah. And my they've been they started dating when they were 14. They're still happily married to this day. Oh, my God. It's the cutest thing. My mom you should go in the Guinness book. I don't know if that's. Ever oh, it's amazing. Before. Right. Yeah. Like it is. It blows my mind how and they like still like each other. I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> yeah. Y'all went through a lot. Like y'all didn't just want to like call it. Right. <laughs> 15 then. years in. It's been, you know. <laughs> was like that's it. That's all I got for you. Yeah. yeah they're they're just I and they got married when I was 10 9 or 10 and so they were like not, they didn't like oh you're pregnant we gotta have to get married like they were like let's establish our lives the only reason why they got married was because my grandma was like we have to have a wedding you're my only girl we have to have a big wedding yeah and so I was like fine but yeah so um my mom's a hairstylist my dad's a mechanic and so my dad kind of and my dad was a really great football player like he was so good at football still has records at our high school to this day so he and college? he didn't because he dropped out to do work core for me for my me and my mom oh, so, that's so sweet right yeah so and then my mom got her beautician's um, license when she was 17 and now has like a super successful um clientele and called station and she like loves it so she's like I can never leave this town because I will lose all my clientele but yeah, yeah, strong community. Yeah, so which I don't think they'd ever want to leave, honestly. It's really interesting to have a mechanic for a dad and a beautician for a mom. I can only assume they're super smart, but like that's not exactly a field that's into like it says right. intellectual, which yeah. it seems like you're really in the intellectual realm. Yeah, like that was always kind of fun because they always call me the weird kid because I was really interested in history. <laughs> like I was like the nerd, and so my mom's like, I don't, I don't want to go to a museum. Like they're coming <laughs> yeah. to visit in a couple weeks, and I'm like, she's like, do I have to go? <laughs> to like my, I don't to your, want like, to. Passion yeah. and like, place in this city. Exactly, like something <laughs> yeah. I want to do with right. my life. And she's like, mm, do you want to be a doctor? <laughs> like what? <laughs> Why do you want to do this? And my dad, my. My dad is actually super like intuitive like he really wants his loves to learn and he loves kind of learning new facts and so anytime that I me and him get he's very like wants to be your shrink too like he's always like so how does that make you feel <laughs> and I'm like why are you doing that to me <laughs> like I think if my dad could have had it his way he would have played college football and become like a math teacher because he loves math 
and um wow, which is nuts. stuff is so yeah just yeah and coach football like that's like i always i'm like dad you should just go get like your like teaching license and go coach like do yeah, that it's not that difficult no and I, he's like happen. he's like yeah but this is easy and like i can do it and like i knew that like as a teenager like i knew that that's not the life i wanted like just because i was good at something and it was easy doesn't didn't mean that I wanted to do it like right. didn't mean that that was my path to take um, and he's always encouraged me like do what you want to do don't have kind of be miserable in your work life because like you're making money and like you're good at it do it because you want to do it and you're, you love to do it so I think that that was really like a big thing for me growing up I was, I was like I don't want to just do something because I make money off of it like that was never what I wanted so yeah and like they're both like the blue collar worker like they go and they work my mom stands up all day so does my dad and they come home and just have this happy little life that's amazing mm -hmm. that's such a cool story yeah it's so cool that they have this like blue collar lifestyle and they're doing things for their own reasons but they're very much so like you do what you need to do right yeah and i mean that from my mother like it wasn't exactly that conversation but my dad <laughs> was very much like just if that's what she wants to do leave her alone devin like that was like the whole what was devin's thing devin's thing devin wanted me to be a um a doctor obviously like what what you expect your kids like the typical like be a doctor but the best one that i think my mom ever told me she's like so you should be like like you should work in a morgue <laughs> She's like, Did she like read an article? Yeah, well, probably. She's like, she's really talking to one of her clients that was just like, you know, that might be a really good idea. Like, you don't have to talk to anyone else. I'm very social, so I need somebody to be like talking back. You one. can't talk to anyone. And like, there. two, why is that? Why she would want me to do? She's like, there's always dead people and it's good money. And I'm like, you're not wrong. There's always a money. <laughs> you're, right. like, you're never going to be out of a job and they make such good money. And I'm like, what? <laughs> So that was probably, oh, the, that was like my man. senior year and I'd already established <laughs> what I wanted to do with my life. I already accepted like a college offer and I was like drive, remember drive, sitting in the passenger seat of her car and her just being like, you know, you should maybe, maybe look into being like the person that does autopsies. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, mom, that sounds like a great. <laughs> Thanks mom. Thanks. Appreciate it. So history is not what you want me to major in. <laughs> you want me to double major in that and anthropology. What? How okay. How do you even major in to, get, to become a... <laughs> I don't know. I think you have to go to med school. You do? I think, yes. You can't go to med school and then come out and work with dead people. You don't have to ever kill anybody. Like that's the only <laughs> <laughs> like you never have to make that call you know like oops a slip of the wrist and like they're gone oh, Jesus. never have to deal with that i guess like that's a perk but like i, uh, I don't want to do aunt dolly's makeup for the rest of my life in a uh, like a funeral home that does not excite me aunt dolly. <laughs> oh man oh, poor aunt dolly poor aunt dolly <laughs> poor aunt dolly <laughs> <laughs> just have to make her look as lively as possible <laughs> oh, oh man yeah so what's uh what's next what's on the horizon well, i just started this job and so i'm hoping to kind of move forward i really love exhibit design i love creating those spaces because i think that is super influential in the learning process itself being able to comfortably move through something and then also working with different exhibits so that I get to learn and help people learn 
while also doing exhibits because once again i'm more of a physical person so building things and that's how you learn yeah and that's that's how i like to work and so i always like to have a finished project i'm a big like i like to physically see something and so that's um, interesting that's kind of the blue collar side of things yeah too. like the kinesthetic learning yeah like you see it and you finished it and it's good and you know it's good rather than like i'm gonna submit this essay and hope somebody thinks it's good maybe so um that's always been kind of my next step and then overall i want to be a museum consultant so i want to kind of learn all aspects of museums and then help museums big and small best suit their guests and best suit their space in Denver Nature and Science, I have a lot of conversations with Chelsea. Yeah. I hear all of the scoop of the, Den- <laughs> of the Nature and Science Museum. You have an incredibly diverse population. Mm, yeah. And I find that there's a lot of conversations in your space that have to do, especially me. Actually, one of Chelsea's friends who moved away would talk about this too. But it was a lot about how museums are... I don't know if catered, what's the word that like where they bring the things in from other places? Uh, anyways, it seems yeah. like it's a very like it, it catered to like an older white man population. Lots of museums are, so that's and like what they from used those to be. Collectors right. Too. So that's what it used to be. So museums really started based off people's personal collections that they wanted to brag about. So let me buy this building and throw some stuff in it and tell you what year I found it. And that's the only information you need. And so that happens and kind of transitioning from that is like a newer idea. It's transitioning into wanting people to learn and not just look at the shiny things. We're not here to impress you. We're here to educate you. Exactly. Exactly. And so the idea of museums kind of just being for that older, wealthier demographic yeah. is very much shifting and and Denver Museum of Nature and Science does such a good job with this like they awesome offer hear. free days they offer a lot of things bilingual which is really nice yeah um, reduce tickets they also go into the community and do they educate at schools and they educate in like at like I know that they had just like a Denver festival they were at and they like took this truck out and brought these cool collections and they just did something at the Colorado Mills mall. And so they really try and like show people that it's not just like, you don't have to be like wealthy to come to this. So, I mean, it's kind of like thinking of how movies transition from being like something that people that only had money used to do. And then after the depression, people were like, Ooh, I really want to do this. So then it like shifted into being like a priority in people's lives to, to watch these movies and like, oh, I can spend a quarter on this and I can go watch this. And so now it's we're transitioning into how do we make it affordable and what pe- people want to come? Because then you also have that stigma of Ugh, I don't like to learn. I don't want to go do this. Yeah. So then there's that idea. So I think that we're really trying Denver Museum of Nature and Science really does a great job with that. They try really hard to make it entertaining and hands-on and physical and creating that memory but they also make it affordable and exciting and offer free nights and they offer reduced rates for um like lower income families and stuff like that so they do a really good job with that that's really awesome i can't imagine that's the case everywhere no and i've seen it i mean and a lot of museums can't 
afford it. And that's the thing I was talking with somebody the other day. I used to, in Texas, I was a part of the Texas Association of Museums and in Houston, they did um, their annual conference and we had to figure out how many museums were in a 20 mile radius of Houston and there are 140 teeny tiny little museums, big in, museums in a, 20 mile? in a 20 mile radius of Houston, which Houston itself is giant. So like it takes an hour to get across Houston. So itself is hear. really big, but like but outside of that, is, is that's huge. No, like it. And so, and like, those are small towns that just like people have those private collections that they really want to, um, they want to have. And so they're fitting the bill sometimes. Sometimes it's like, how do we keep this alive? But we're going to try because we love it. So I think a lot of museums can't do that or have really high entry rates because they're wanting it to stay alive without having to have that profit margin. So they're like, oh, we're going to charge 20 bucks for our admission where it's worth it, like at Denver Museum of Nature and Science, rather than like at like a tiny museum. So they can't even get the traffic. Yeah, exactly. So you're bumping your prices because you can't get people in. Like that was one thing my last museum, like we didn't have a lot of foot traffic and we didn't have a lot of people coming in, but we had a really low entry rate. So it was like $5 for admission. And like, if you want to give us a donation, cool. And so we just kind of would figure it out rather than bumping the price because we don't want to try and get that. Um, so yeah, not a lot of museums really do like try to involve their community as much and try to make it as exciting because they can just kind of coast you seem to kind of hold a compassionate perspective for it a little bit, just like analyzing all the reasons. Do you find that people in the museum community are like afraid to involve their own community? Like just as like a natural. I think allowing people to have a say in what you do scares a lot of people. Yeah. As a creator myself, I know that feeling. Yeah. Like you don't want somebody to come in and say, well, you're doing this wrong and this is why you're doing it wrong. And this is how you should do it. Right. Don't fuck with my vision. Exactly. Like this is what I want. This is what we're doing now. And I, so there is that aspect of giving community input of like, what do you want to see? What are you excited about? What, what about this museum do you enjoy and keeping it on a positive side rather than what don't you like about this? What don't you want to see? Like changing the question itself really helps when bringing your community in um, and bringing anybody in really, honestly. But it's, I think that a lot of people that work in museums want to bring the community in. They want, they're not doing this for them because we're nonprofit. We're not making any money. We're just not. And we're doing this because we like watching people walk in that door and say, wow. And like, that's such a good feeling. Like oh, I took something away. Out. Yeah. And once again, it's doing something because you're happy to do it, not because you're making money. So I think there's a lot of people at that museum that really just, they want the museum to see, but more importantly, they want their community, community to enjoy and ex- succeed themselves, like exceed their, themselves. It sounds like you have a really strong leadership. I really try. Yeah, I, I always... And at the Denver Nature and Science Museum in yeah. general that like creates these... Yeah, I think that we... Like when you have the ability to say something, you should say something powerful and something that helps other people. So why not say it? 
Like, why not try and lead people in a right direction? I like to listen to everybody's opinion and then kind of collaborate those things together to make this beautiful meld. And it it's helped me a lot with my leadership because I am just able to kind of sit there and just be like, well, what do we want and what is what does everybody want and how can we make it reasonable and realistic? With soul stories, I like a hundred percent agree. Like my favorite thing in the world is the co-creative process. It's like this beautiful feeling when people can just come together and you feel connected and create Mm -hmm. something. What's that for you? Like, what is that experience? Honestly, like it's, I love one seeing people grow and come up with ideas and get excited about something because I know that like, in the back of my mind, like I'm helping lead that, like I'm helping make them be heard. And, um, honestly at the end of it, it's not because I get the final say or I'm, I'm the boss. It's because I'm helping everybody grow and I'm helping this project get completed. Wow. You're really taking yourself out of the equation. I really try to, for somebody who likes to talk about myself so much, I really don't (laughs) like to take credit for a lot of things. Like I really like, I just kind of like to be that person for them. Like I, like we just did a, um, Chelsea was on this where we are kind of redoing one of the shows in Expedition Health. And we had a group of five people and I was, and after like a month of just kind of verbally surveying people and just seeing what people wanted, taking kind of a focus group of five people and seeing how we could one let everybody that I've been talking to all the people that are in this exhibit how do we make them happy how do we make you guys happy and how do we keep it on a level that one we can afford it doesn't go into the universe and go crazy with ideas but also how can we make it enjoyable for every single person involved with doing it every day and I think that that really helped ground me because I'm not doing that every single day I'm not walking through that exhibit every day, but the, these people the product's are. product's not for you. Exactly. It's for other people. So being able to kind of have that say of like, these are things that we can do. These are things we can't do. And this is why. But also, I still want you to enjoy doing this is really important because I just want everybody to to enjoy what they do and enjoy what they're seeing and what they're learning. That's where that growth comes in. Yeah. Wow. So given the state of our world and all the bullshit that happens. Yeah. How bringing people together, co-creating, how, I mean, do you see how that applies outside of just the museum? Oh, all the time. I think that if people would just listen to each other yeah. instead of just yelling, <laughs> like, I think that you can learn no a more lot. Hashtags. Yeah. And just have an open mind. Like if you're, and like same thing with learning, like you might not like that. You might hate history, but like having that I open mind. Hate yeah. So go into, the, <laughs> go into a history museum and just like, let it like absorb it, figure out that storyline. Cause at the end of the day, you, yes, you might hate it and you might disagree with it, but it's still important to somebody else and still important to who you are, whether you think it is or not. And so that goes around history that goes around politics that goes to right, everything. So a Trump supporter is telling you mm-hmm. things and how do you apply that lesson? You know, because a history museum is a depersonalized example. Mm-hmm. How do you apply that when somebody you disagree with, maybe not even a Trump supporter, someone you just disagree with that yeah. bubbles up some anger within you? I really think that it's, it is listening to them and just like, because a lot of people are just like, well, you're not listening. But I think listening to them and explaining your reasoning and agreeing to disagree. Like you can do that. 
You don't have to like <laughs> you don't, you, you don't have to burn my house that. down <laughs> yeah. and rebuild on top of We're it. You don't have to do that <laughs> yeah. at all. Like you're not conquering my mind here. <laughs> like it's okay to not like I, my grandma. I my grandma is my best friend. She is 100% one of my top supporters, but she is a Trump supporter. And to my like mom, who's very like vocal and kind of can be very abrasive. Mom's mom. Yeah, my mom's mom. She like they get into like fights over this like they won't talk to each other because neither one of them want to listen to each other neither one of them want to have the conversation anymore so halfway through they're just like we're done like we have to stop talking or i'm gonna like run away it's like that but with me and my grandma like i can sit down and by the end of it you're usually frustrated talking to me because i'm very much like well explain 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 and then i'm like well here's this here's this here's this like i i'll throw facts at people quickly i don't like to go into a conversation uneducated at all and so if you want to have that more of a like abrasive conversation i'm also happy to have those <laughs> but usually if it's somebody just like i have a friend and she had posted something when trump had first gotten elected because she's a trump supporter and i just like asked her i was like what is your reasoning behind this like can you explain this because i don't understand and she did and like we just had like probably like a like 20 comments of just like a full conversation via Facebook and people would try to like pop in and be like really aggressive. And she's like, no, 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 let her talk. Like it's okay. And then by the end of it, she's like, isn't it amazing that we can just have a civil conversation and agree to disagree? Wow. Like, why can't you just have that? So when people are willing to be like open-minded and I always try to steer for the open-mindedness of like, I'm not judging you. I'm still going to be your friend at the end of this. Like you're not hurting my feelings because you like Trump. You're not like that's it's, I'm not going to let things around that really upset other people upset me. And I'm not going to let their mood kill my mood most of the time. So I got to, I got to be honest. You have a really special skill. (laughs) (laughs) I really try to be, and it's, it's partially because I'm a people pleaser. So I want everybody to be happy. Uh, And so usually my, my tact is how can I have this conversation and say what I have to say without hurting somebody's feelings? It's an interesting combination to be someone who's so knowledge focused, who's also focused on people pleasing. Because I, I don't think you find that combination too no, often. No, I like to learn and I like to know what people are thinking and why they're thinking it. And so like with politics, like why, why do you think this? And like, I want, I want to know both sides of every story at all times. I don't like to go in with one-sided views. Is there is there something you are currently trying to wrap your head around? Is there something right now, currently, it doesn't politics anything. Yeah. Anything you're currently very curious about? Honestly, I think I just want to learn as much as I can. Yeah, like about it doesn't matter. Everything. Like, I don't know a lot about science. I never could a science museum, <laughs> which isn't the best. Like, that's not, especially working in like a, like a Has like Chelsea health. told you about her starting there too? No. She, she had this whole, whole thing. You should talk to her about okay. it. Okay. I won't speak yeah. on air about it, but. Yeah. yeah. She like, she's like a powerhouse. Like she knows oh, so much stuff. She's brilliant. Yeah. And I think it's just like, it's really cool to just kind of go in and like, I, once again, like I want to learn everything. I want to be excited about everything. And I, so, and there are a lot of things that I'm not excited about. Like there are a lot of things where I'm just like, oh, this is really boring. And I don't <laughs> want to talk about this anymore. I want to learn. And I also want to learn why people are passionate about things that I don't like. Why is that something that they're interested in and I'm not? Like, what is their passion behind it? So I think that that's really, I think it's learning. You're just an extremely curious person. I am. I really, I just, and I want, I want to understand. 
I honestly, I'm you're 24, 25, 25. Yeah. Just turned 25. I, yeah, I, I think a lot of people could learn, learn a lot from you. I certainly have in this conversation. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, your open-mindedness, your curiosity, I'm still blown away by being a middle schooler and learning how, figuring out how you best learn. That is yeah. still like, to me, that's the thing I'm going to walk away from. Yeah. You know, like, There's middle schoolers like that. <laughs> well, it's more of just my stubbornness of like, well, why can't I learn the way Sally learns? You know, like that's why isn't that. Oh, so, Sally. oh, Sally. I keep bringing up Sally. This well, it was Sally <laughs> keep naming and, people. And Sally. <laughs> and, I and Sally. Oh my gosh. They're probably the same person at that point. <laughs> Uh, Uh, but yeah I think that it's just like I just want to learn and I want people to learn so it's just kind of built this world in my head (laughs) yeah so yeah always open for the conversation um is there anything else in this conversation that you feel on like stated or something you want to bring up or talk about I don't know. I mean, I could literally talk about anything. Always. I know. I feel like we could really do yeah. this for another hour. <laughs> we could keep going if you Every want. Every time a new question comes up, it's like a universe. And experience. we go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, I'm, I want people to know that it's okay to learn differently. You're not stupid. You're not, you're not incompetent or incapable. Like there are ways for you to learn and you figuring it out is the best way. I think that's a, a great lesson to drive home and, just for the sake of more conversation, I'm curious if you've had moments now that you're an educator where you've seen that happen, like a specific moment where somebody learned differently and you're like, Oh shit. Oh, I mean, yes, I think at our museum. So like the museum in Houston was really cool because I mean, it was, it was a aviation museum based off of local commercial aviation. So it wasn't military. It wasn't the normal aviation stuff. Um, it wasn't like World War II aviation. Or yeah, something. it wasn't like we didn't have bombers. We had a Lockheed Lodestar, which was like this commercial yeah, plane. Martin or yeah. And so um, we had this group of kids in. And so I was just walking through the hallways and they were just like, oh, my gosh. So what we saw in movies actually was real. Um, like just, I don't know why that like stuck with me because they were able to physically see it. And then like, they're going to remember that for the rest of their lives. So, like they're going to realize, Oh, what I'm seeing on television isn't just television. Like it Hollywood. actually happened. Yeah. Like this stuff is based off of something real. And so that was really cool for me. And then at the museum, like being able to see what, I didn't know that lungs looked like that. What, what is this? Is this a heart? No, no, no. This is lungs. And being able to like teach that kid that or like when they touch it is really fun to watch because they're like, oh my gosh, it's just like touching like a steak. Like it's just a muscle. And then you get to expand on like, yeah, this is a muscle. Like your heart is a muscle. Things like that is just really, really cool for me. Does that ever expand into adult education? Do you ever have those experiences? Yeah, you have a lot of parents that had no idea. Like a lot of adults don't, like it's funny how many times, oh, I just thought that lungs were like big balloons. I didn't realize there was tissue inside them. Are they and not big balloons? No, <laughs> see? <laughs> no, they're not. Like they're like completely like they're there's something throughout. It's they've got this kind of spongy material throughout, which brings in the oxygen and swells them up, rather than balloons that are hollow. Well, Learn just, something in yeah, the podcast. Yeah, you're, you're, <laughs> this is adult education. Yeah, right now. <laughs> see, like there's a lot of people like that where they're just kind of like, whoa, or like even 
seeing parents understand that. Like, I think it was fun. Like when my, I finally, like my mom finally stopped being like, just do what they want you to do. So you get an A <laughs> yeah. like, stop trying to fight the system. Stop trying to do this. Stop being a revolutionary. Exactly. You're not going to change it. <laughs> yeah. But like, I want to mom. <laughs> um, but even just having that, like she's my entire life has fought for me, has done this, but she's also been in the back of my mind, been there, like just do what they need you to do and move past, like just scoot through. And so when I was finally like, I am, I don't learn this way and I don't want to learn this way. And so her finally being like, okay, I'm going to fight for what you want. Like I'm going to, and, and she that joined, was, she became yeah, a revolutionary. Yeah. She joined your team because it was one of those where like, she's always been down the teacher's throats about like, she has a 504. We're going to fight for this 504, which like, thank God for her. Well, especially, I mean, special ed's come a long way. Yeah, absolutely. And so she finally was just kind of like, okay, so maybe we should shift 504 from being like, you have to read this to her to like, you let her record in class. You let her like take her notes later. Those were kind of the, the like shift that she took. And she, it was because I was telling her I didn't want this. And so kind of seeing that click for my mom was like, oh, well, maybe if I would have known how I learned, I would have done better in school. Interesting. And so, so what did that change for your mom just in her life? I think that just like she dropped out of high school. And so she just like coasted her whole life. Like she honestly, like she was just kind of like, I have to do what I have to do. I don't, I'm not retaining it. Like I was more about retaining it than passing it. Yeah. And so I think her whole life, she was very much like, I got to pass this class. So I'm going to, I'm just not going to pass it. You know, whereas I was okay with getting a C or D in a class, but I learned so much. Like I could have a conversation with some, with like a, a teacher and they would be like, oh, so you're, you know, all this stuff on this test. You just aren't a good test taker. Or you have written this entire essay and you know exactly what's going on, but your grammar is terrible. So it's, it's, I can have these conversations and I know the content. It's just like, I, you're audit. It sounds like you're very auditory too. Very. Like if I can just have this conversation with somebody, then we're good. Like I, I know it. And so I think that if my mom would have had that, uh, that chance to learn a different way, she might enjoy learning. Like she might enjoy school. And like might have enjoyed school. You know, I think you just opened my mind to something about myself. Yeah. Because I've been having this conversation. Kamga is a writer. I am. F I tend to be friends with a lot of writers. Okay. Because there's a lot of really good, rich conversations that come with writers. Mm -hmm. I hate reading. I'm a good writer. I don't enjoy writing that much. And you run across a lot of quotes where people say, well, it's like, famous people saying, you know, read every book and you'll be the smartest person. Mm -hmm. I think there's this weird association that if you read, you're smart. And, and I've been like, I feel like a pretty strong critical thinker, but reading has been so difficult for me my whole life. Yeah. And, but conversations, I often people who I will often seek people out who know things in learn by just back and forth dialogue. Mm -hmm. And that's always been my way of accessing knowledge. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. It's just like learning from other people. So you like, you learn from what the conversations develop. Yeah. So being able to kind of dive deeper without reading a book. And I'm the same way. I don't love reading. Like I, I like reading. I, I like the knowledge behind it. I don't enjoy the task. 
Yes. Yeah. The process is is the worst. (laughs) (laughs) I'm such a slow reader too, where I'm just like, and I don't retain it when I'm just reading it. Like I'm listening fine, but like I'll read the same sentence ten times and not realize I read the same sentence. Yeah. And so it's really just like I think I'm that way. Like I would much rather have a conversation with somebody that knows a fact or knows has a specialty about something rather than read a book on it. Because I feel like there's that personal conversation that you can have. Like it makes it real. Makes it real. Yeah. Rather than just like, once again, it makes like, it important. It does. To like, me, yeah. Yeah. Cause you like, you care what you like people have to say. Yeah. And like, if there's telling you something, you, you're listening, you're engulfing that knowledge and that information. And that's going to stick more to you than, than reading a book. Like I love documentaries and, but there are moments where I'm just like, Oh, this is really rough to watch. <laughs> yeah. But then having a conversation with somebody about that topic, I'm like, Oh yeah, like this, this and this. And like, then they tell me stuff. Like I've learned so much from Chelsea. Like have, there's this one guy at the Chelsea's museum. Chelsea's a human encyclopedia. Oh my gosh. It's amazing. Well, yeah. so there's somebody at the museum named Jose. He is like this crazy, smart, exciting, good storyteller. Like he is amazing. There was a day we were all talking about biological anthropology and Egyptians and all this stuff. And I was kind of just like, why? I haven't really like learned anything in a long time. I'm going to go look up grad schools. Like after that conversation with him, just like, it's so cool. Just the way he engaged you. Yeah. And like, he's, he's also like a walking encyclopedia. Like he's been a part of a lot of the temporary exhibits. So any exhibits that they have, they have the enactors learn about that content. So right now they're doing Leonardo da Vinci. And so he learned all about da Vinci and like he did Vikings and they've done like, they've done so many things and he's been involved in that. So he's retained all that knowledge. And then he's such a good storyteller. Then you're just like, Oh, I want to learn. I want to just learn your brain. So that's really cool. I had a professor like that in college where he'd worked on a lot of the archaeological sites in the country. And he was just this very like happy, scatterbrained man because he knew so, so much, but he didn't know how to like put it on a PowerPoint. It's just, it was really rough. His classes were always very rough, but he would just talk about something. He'd be like, you want to learn this? Do you want to learn this? And we're like, "Uh uh-huh. Tell us more. Like I always said, I just wanted to take a class on Mr. O's brain. Like that was <laughs> yeah. it. And so I think such Jose's an organic sounding process. Oh yeah. Mm. Well, and it's something that he did. Like he was there when they were bringing stuff up. First person conversation is so cool. Yeah. So much better. Yeah. And I think Jose just has that, like that mindset, but just like Chelsea, where he just like knows everything. And then so, they look at you. Yeah, yeah. And they just like, they like, <laughs> yeah. they like, you are the only person they're talking to yeah. and you want to be the, you want to be important enough to continue this <laughs> conversation. So I feel like sometimes I have to like keep up. I'm able to kind of like talk myself into anything. So that's really good. But there's moments <laughs> where I'm just like, I don't know that answer. <laughs> and I'm just going to sit there and say, uh-huh. <laughs> so, but then like you learn, then you like, are, I'm never going to forget that fact. Like right. that's really cool when you're able to kind of, and that's the same thing like with teachers that are really enthusiastic about their teaching. I had a, fifth grade teacher no she's sixth or seventh grade and she was obsessed with Edgar Allan Poe like obsessed to this day Edgar Allan Poe is one of my favorite poets she was so passionate about it and so excited about it and so ready to teach it and I think that that's also really important in education with teachers is like letting them teach something they enjoy 
Yeah. Because when they enjoy it, it's not just this, oh, okay, we have to read about World War One right now. Like, let's keep going. Right. The like, teacher doesn't want to be there. The student doesn't want to be right, there. Right. Right. Like, I, as an adult, it's been really fun to watch my friends become teachers because I'm like, oh, my teachers all got drunk after work. Like, <laughs> they all went to yeah, happy hour. Teaching is yeah. uh, started alcoholism. Yeah, actually. exactly. <laughs> I honestly think this. Like, it is just one of those where you're just kind of like, oh, this kid sucks. This content sucks. I don't want to be here. But I love what I'm doing because there's that one kid in there that really loves it. But I think that like if you were to have a teacher that like was able to teach something that they love, like she was an English teacher. She and I, I love English being dyslexic, which is weird, but I do love English. This is your friend. Uh, no, this is my teacher. Oh, this is the teacher. Yeah, my yeah, teacher. Yeah. yeah. And so she was just Edgar super, Poe teacher. yeah, she's just really excited and passionate. And I'm just like, that always stuck with me. And once again, I think that that's where that sparks of like, I want to listen to other people talk about their passions because then you're more engaged in them as well. So yeah. I think that's probably where that started, honestly. Like and thinking back. engages your need to learn. Yeah. And it, honestly, I think it also engages your empathy. Like it engages you caring about that person and caring about what they care about. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. At the same time that you're learning and you're gathering, you're also just learning about this person mm -hmm. it's like a give and take and yeah wow just so you know chelsea walks through the door the same way you see her at the museum <laughs> she walks through and she's like oh my god danny you have to hear what happened today oh. and just like sits down and like i i will be you know really in my zone with something and she's just bam yeah she goes to sleep like that and she wakes up like <laughs> oh that. it is it she's amazing up. like yeah. there's just moments where i'm just like every time like and she makes direct eye contact with you which i so appreciate yeah. like you're the only person she's talking to yeah. and i love that about chelsea she actually started my favorite day at the museum where i was just like oh my gosh this is what i'm doing like this is like one of those moments where you like stand back and you're just like smiling because you're so happy about something what day um the winter solstice oh she told me about oh this. my yeah. gosh she was so happy <laughs> it was just like there was a moment where we just had like all these people which one like coming from such a small museum we didn't do stuff like this we didn't have anything like this and like all these people and then they started playing here comes the sun and it was just like this beautiful unifying Wait, ex moment explain, explain oh my gosh for the listeners okay yeah, yeah. Who don't yes. know chelsea so we did um this winter solstice celebration that chelsea came in um and was like i'm gonna do this at like 3 14 if you want to join like we'll just do it in our little like museum meeting space and then somewhere between 8 30 and three o'clock it expanded into at three o'clock we're going to gather everybody we're going to gather guests and we're going to walk through the galleries of the museum holding like these beautiful wings and and <laughs> that we have for one of the other exhibits we're going to pass out drums and we're going to like we're going to shoot off confetti cannons we're going to have like a nitrogen bomb like we're <laughs> like all this stuff and we're going to do this at like i think it was like three thirty-seven was the time because we started we gathered at, at three and we came in and I was like, in my mind, I was like, we're probably gonna have like five people. Like, we, like they made an announcement, but like people don't ever come. Like yeah. people are doing their own thing. They don't want to be there. And so I am gathering people and like Expedition Health. I make an announcement in there, like over the intercom and come back. And there is probably a hundred to 200 people on every level. So three levels of people. Staff. No, this is guests. Oh. 
Like these are all guests. Like there's staff involved too. And so like they have kids that have these drums and then like from each level they shoot off these confetti cannons. So right as the time goes off, shooting cannons off, nitrogen bomb goes off, which is just like a giant instant fog machine that's really cold. And then there's Chelsea that's like, happy winter solstice, everyone. And then right as she stops saying that, they start playing Here Comes the Sun by the Beatles. And it was just like this moment where I just looked up and I was like, oh my gosh, I work here. This was completely spontaneous. This happened in like a five hour time span. And we gathered people in 30 minutes and like made that impact on them. I don't even know what the winter solstice (laughs) is, (laughs) but like I was so ecstatic. Like I was just so happy. And like you could tell every like the kids were excited and they like were like, well, what is the winter solstice? And people were explaining it to them. And parents were like, this was amazing. Like this was not we did not expect this. And like we had to clean up confetti afterwards. And like we were just all just on this high of just like, oh, we just did that. We just made that guest experience so much better. And we taught them something that they wouldn't normally learn on a day to day here. And it's something that one of our staff wanted to do for us and it blew up into this beautiful big thing and it was just awesome it was just really cool but i absolutely like watched that video a couple times anytime i'm like kind of a little like sad or down i'm like i'm gonna watch that video and it's just like literally chelsea saying happy (laughs) happy winter solstice everyone and then here comes the sun comes on and it was so good it was just a good time so and the museum does stuff like that all the time like they just like are like yeah let's do it and just completely spontaneous excited happy that was quite the promotion. Oh, it was beautiful. <laughs> I was like, go. <laughs> it's a really it's a really great place. They're very open to everyone and their ideas, which is really awesome. And especially our program that we work in. Like museum programs is one of the forefronts of that. So it's really nice. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much yeah, for talking thanks today. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. You're a little bit outside of the entrepreneur promote yourself, but Yeah promote yourself is there a place people can talk to you or find you yeah you can find me on instagram it's just my first and last name denise box (laughs) um and i don't really do much else on i am facebook but you can message me on that if you want have a conversation Um, with yeah i'm always i'm always happy to sit down and have a conversation about anything and everything so even things i don't know about i want to learn so even if you have things that you want to teach i've said something wrong on this podcast (laughs) you want to like educate me shoot me a a dm anything and i'm or let's grab coffee like i'm always happy to just have a conversation with people yeah and go to the denver museum of nature and science they are awesome it is such a good museum and they're when people ask you for those surveys like take the surveys because people we're learning from those like we want that information so we can make it better for our community for everybody a place with some integrity it is they they really try to take care of denver and which is so important yeah cool Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Soul Stories podcast. Having these conversations is super important to me as a person and the backbone behind why we do everything at Soul Stories. I would be extremely grateful if you were to leave a review at iTunes and share this episode with someone you care about. It helps us build the movement. Until next time, this is Danny signing off.